Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory. This is episode 27, and it's exciting to be back. We uh, had definitely some exciting racing going on this weekend, and a lot of other things that uh, have transpired. So we kind of came up with an idea today that we were going to talk about some things that are more about the drivers uh, of today, the younger drivers, um, some things they're up against, and some of the things that I think are probably extremely important that they understand uh, moving forward. And that will help the parents and maybe their mentors or their their people that are helping them financially uh, understand really uh, about things that I think people lose sight of, and that is expectations. Sometimes when you're starting out in racing, again, if you, if your child is involved in it, you know, you maybe possibly have more unrealistic expectations as a parent as well, because they're your child and you think that they're the greatest thing you think what they do is extremely special. And sometimes maybe you're a little close to the situation. Uh, and maybe as a race car driver, myself included, we've been there where you're naive to some degree. Maybe you think maybe at some point you're better than you are at that point in time. And, you know, I think it's important that everybody really views it, you know, I guess, from a standpoint that they can see, they can see what's going on, truly see. And then, you know, I think maybe have the expectations about, you know, are these really realistic? What we're trying to uh, do? Are we capable of doing this? You know, are we really this good? And maybe take the humble approach, take, you know, a step back and assess what we're doing, how we're doing it, and really what we're hoping to accomplish. And, you know, I just see a lot of young drivers these days and I see parents, you know, more so now that I'm doing more about what I, you know, I did in the past, what we did in the past with driver development and coaching with drivers, we've been in that business and we've seen it and it is extremely difficult. And you, you can talk to that yourself. I mean, it, it's hard to listen to parents that come in and spend large sums of money and believe that, you know, this is magically going to just take you to the next level and you're going to win races, be proficient, find sponsorship. Somebody's going to pick you up, give you a drive, and you're going to become a professional race car driver just by going and, you know, putting this, this small amount of effort forth. And that's going to be the catapult or the springboard to the next level. Yes, I think 
parents have always been exceptionally proud of their kids. We all kind of see our kids through rose-colored glasses and definitely are not going to allow anybody to call our baby ugly, right? (laughs) So that's a hard thing. And coming from a mother's viewpoint, it would be very difficult if I felt my son was the greatest race car driver and he was in subpar equipment or not equipment I didn't feel was good enough for his talent. But that's the age old adage. I think what's changed is like you said in the very beginning of the podcast, the expectation. Expectation has now changed because we are now in the age of entitlement. These children have more access to everything their parents are making more money than they ever have. There's a lot more arrive and drive and a lot more pay to play in motorsports than there ever has been. And so the days of the good old boys bringing their jalopy to a racetrack and the drivers working on them night and day has really gone by the wayside for the most part. There are some drivers still that come to the shop and work on their cars, but very few. And I see this even from a driver development standpoint, when these kids are young, they don't spend time working on their own cars. And that really is a lost art. And I think if you haven't been in the trenches, you haven't gotten your elbows greasy, you're not in your car and know how hard it was to put together. And then after you crash it, you don't know how hard it is to put back together. Then you lose sight of the work that it takes to put your piece on the track week after week. And it really is despicable to watch some of these entitled, spoiled, rotten brats, in my opinion, have the ride of their dreams that anybody like you or, you know, underprivileged, you know, drivers that don't have the funding would give their eye teeth for. And these kids are not appreciative, not grateful. They talk crap about other drivers that might not have as good of equipment. And so it definitely is a conversation. And I think it's the expectation, not so much the parents wanting their child to do well and thinking they're going to do well. We've dealt with that forever. But the expectation has to change, and especially from the actual driver himself. He has got to realize, or she has got to realize, that they've got to put forth the work. And it's not just going to be handed to them all the time. I think, in my opinion, a key word is perspective. These kids have to have more perspective about what is ahead of them. And I think they have to be appreciative of what opportunities they have. And they have to understand the, in, the, what encompasses the complete program and process they're going through. And too many times, I think that, you know, the parents or the people that, you know, um, they're working with, People that fund them too, yeah, fund not them just as parents. Well, as well, as yeah. fund them as well. Uh, you know, they they create expectation and they maybe put pressure and there is pressure to perform and do the things that they do. And, you know, again, I know from my own father, you know, the amount of, you know, you know, emphasis that was put on work ethic and doing what you got to do and, and working hard and doing it yourself and understanding it and, you know, being a, a major part or playing a major role in every aspect of it. And you don't see that as much anymore, especially when you get to the higher levels of where, you know, that you're racing, you know, a touring type of division, not just your Saturday night 
you know, local short track affair. I'm talking about a touring series that travels and goes different places that you're physically having to spend money at to procure a ride uh, or have your own car and, and doing this. So you're spending large sums of money and the commitment level is very high. You have to have perspective. And too many times, you know, even when we did like the driver development and we were taking these kids to actual races and them racing, you know, after we did the actual testing and coaching and that type of thing, their again, their expectation from the family side, um, you know, put pressure and then, you know, they, they believed that they had the expertise at that point in time and that the car was deficient, the people were deficient. There was always a justification for inadequacy or failure. Uh, and I think that's what you see so much of today. And that, I believe, needs to be curbed. I think you certainly, it's a responsibility that you have to have to enlighten the young driver and make them understand the gift and the opportunity they have and that it gets tougher as we go. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, you can even see that in NASCAR. What you are going to excel at, even in the Xfinity series, you're not going to in the Cup series. It's a, you know, as they say, once you're playing with the big boys, things change. And that's a real slap in the face to some of these kids that get into that series and go, oh my gosh, I I probably will never win a race in this series. And that is more often than not. Well, I think you can see it even in the realm of where we're at now. You look at these drivers that are in maybe the truck series, for instance, and, you know, coming up in the ARCA series first even, and they're showcasing their potential there. They've got some money behind them. They've run well. They maybe won a race or two, and then they're stepping up to the next level. And then they're trying to get to that point there. And then now they want to try to get to the Xfinity series. And their expectations are that they, you know, they should be winning. And the only way that they're going to win is if the pocketbook or the amount of money they can procure for that ride is going to be um, of magnitude. And you got to think about the slots that are available. It's just like the musical chairs. There's only so many chairs. And when they fill up, musical and the chairs music is stops, a very good illustration. When yes. it stops, the music stops in silly season, and you're left holding the bag. I mean, you ever watch that movie Rush? When you know they, you know, I mean, he is absolutely mortified and can't see straight, right? Because he doesn't have a drive, and it's Christmas time. It's winter, and you just you're irate. You can't James even, Hunt. You yeah, mean? yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't even you can't even be you know the person you want to be, and. When you get to the point that you're in the silly season and, you know, the music's getting ready to stop and you don't have a drive, you know, and it gets tough. But if you have money to find one, it's still not absolutely certain you're going to come up with a But with it's a much ride. more probable. It is. It is. But, again, you know, you have to put things in perspective for the people that are going to be in these cars and let them know that just because you're winning races at this point in time, and then you maybe leave and you leave the oval track side and you go to the road course side and you're trying to develop your skills outside of that. You know, it's a different dynamic and it's not easy to be proficient in every aspect of racing. Definitely not. And that's the tough part. That's the true, I think, thing that most, you know, people that want a driver to drive for them and they're willing to pay that driver 
They want versatility. Yes. They want somebody that is proficient in every aspect of racing. Now, when I talk about every aspect, I think, you know, you, you would, I, I, when we talked to drivers or we had drivers and, you know, you try to like have drivers that bring even bring money and come to your team. You want to advise them and tell them, look, you have to work at this. You need to be more proficient in every aspect. And when I began driving, my dad told me I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the best race car driver, nor would I ever be. And I think we even mentioned that in a poly, or podcast earlier. Yes. But my father was adamant that you need to be as versatile as you can be. And that means both in and out of the race car. And if you look at today's race car driver, they're not that way, in my opinion. They're certainly not great orators. Some do better than others. But I, I will point out every time I see you know, a driver win a race who can actually represent the sponsor, because that was what I have my introduction into the sport. I was a sponsor. So, you know, I wanted a driver and thankfully it was you, babe. Um, but I wanted a driver that could represent my product. Well, they could speak about it. They were intelligent when they spoke about it and they have a personality. You don't want a deadpan face trying to represent your product. You want excitement and you want someone who can actually pronounce the name of your product. Um, that would be key. And we actually had someone who couldn't pronounce our product. It was funny. But yeah, that's something that you don't see as much anymore because they don't have to work at it as, as much as they used to. The sponsors come and go not on the driver's merit because the driver didn't go out there and land them. They, they have been brought in. And I think it is doing a disservice to the whole sport when the drivers don't research and become knowledgeable about the product that they are representing. Companies today, they have, they have only so much money and the sport pricing wise has escalated. So the cost for the ticket to the dance is a lot more expensive and you have to have return on investment. You have to have ROI. That means these people are spending X amount of dollars with you. They need to see that come back and make money. So, the dry, the, what, what you do outside the race car and being a good represent, you know, representing their product or being a good spokesman for the product, understanding their brand, understanding how they market, understand, you know, what the pitfalls are, what their obstacles are. You know, this day and age, if you really don't have a lot of money behind you, you need to know this. You need to work at this. You need to ask questions and to become way more intelligent. Google, you can get on Google and find out about anything anymore. You can. Right? So you can certainly. There's no excuse for not knowing. no excuse. No excuse. And I think, you know, you, if you don't speak well or you're shy or whatever the case may be, you can overcome it. There's so much at your disposal today, speech class wise, you know, there's all kinds of courses you can take. There's, there's people that do it for a living in business that can teach you and show you how to dress, how to act. There's how a to podcast on public speaking. I mean, there is dozens of, uh, there, there's a glut of information, if anything right now on how to speak well. So it just takes want to desire. You have to know that you're, you're inefficient. You need to know that at some point, somebody's going to ask you a question. Somebody's going to maybe bring a product to you and you're going to have to be able to talk intelligently. And you need to understand the key words about, you know, what a company goes through. I mean, when you, when you got a company that has what they call a skew, 
You know, that's a particular product on the shelves. You don't understand slotting fees, what it costs for them to get on the shelf. And, you know, the, the facts that, you know, how hard it is, they don't sell through, they don't have, that they don't, you have to pay to take your stuff back off of the, off the shelves. I mean. <laughs> well, we were in that, in that field where we were both owner, driver, sponsors, ship keeper, all of that. I don't think drivers need to know all of that information, but they certainly need to know how difficult it is to procure and how difficult it is to stay on the shelf. And even if they don't bring actual dollars to that store, they're bringing awareness. And awareness is huge to a sponsor. They realize that, hey, you might not bring us millions of dollars, but if you're constantly saying our brand and you're thanking our brand and you're talking about the brand, we're getting awareness no matter what it is. But that's, and in, I guess in social media, right? That it is different. It is a different way of, well, of and even that. more so with social media. These drivers have a, an immense platform to talk about the sponsor and the products, and it doesn't cost them a thing. And what? How long does it take you to make a tweet or make a post or make a reel? It, it's nothing. And I don't know why they're not doing it. But I think it's imperative that they they continue to work, you know, down these paths and become proficient at it. And you know, there's, again, there is so many aspects that make up a race car driver. If you want to be in this business at this level, the higher echelons of sport, I mean, you think about it, there's only 40 pretty much in every one of those deals that get a ticket to the dance every week. So you better be trying to be different. Or less. You better be different. You better be better. And you better have more want to and drive, you know, and work at your craft both in and out of the car. You know, I think, you know, I, when I started my career, obviously, you know, you just, it's, it is different. It's a different time, right? But a lot of things remain the same. And I think when it comes down to humility and it comes down to character and integrity, those things are elements that you do not change. They're timeless. They're timeless. And I think, you know, er, certainly in their infancy, you know, you don't ever really know any one time that you get the opportunity, somebody listens to you, you talk, you may not think that much about it, but anytime that you are interviewed or talked or on a podcast or whatever the case may be in public, let alone, and they listen to you talk, if you can talk intelligently and you don't stammer and stutter and you can speak and you put a sentence or two together, you know, I mean. You <laughs> and with some enthusiasm. And with some enthusiasm. They're going to remember that. They are. And personality means a lot. And, you know, I, it worked. It was one of those moments in time that I ended up sitting on a pole at the Tacoma Shucks Grand Prix and physically run out of gas. I had wrecked the car on my second lap of qualifying and damaged the fuel cell. So it really was my own predicament that I created. But we ran the race and but you were leading that race I, the whole time. I led the race the whole time. At the very end, I ran out of gas. Herschel McGriff, who now just went into the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. he ends up winning the race. And and he would not have had you not run out of gas. That is correct. And you know, Herschel and I, we had, you know, a pretty heated, you know, type of battle. I was the young new kid on the block and Herschel was obviously the older cat, you know, and he was <laughs> the one that, you know, he, he was used to winning everything and all of a sudden here comes this young whippersnapper taking you know, his title away. He didn't want to hear that this young kid was gonna like, you know, 
outrun him or, you know, and, you know, we had the 500, the first 500 lap race that, you know, Evergreen Speedway in Monroe. And he's like, well, you know, this kid's not going to outrun me, you know? And I'm like, well, this kid ain't, this guy ain't going to last outlast me at date at this race. Right. Sure enough, I won the fi first 500 lap race there and didn't say anything about the banner that had gone on prior to that from Herschel. But even at the, at the Grand Prix, Herschel wins the race and I get interviewed and I remember for me, I just, I just, you know, praised our, my group, my team, the, the effort we put in and had a great race car. I, you know, I congratulated Herschel on his win and just took the, the high road and just said, you know, we did everything we could do except one thing. And that's just the way racing is. And you didn't whine about it or say no. we should have won. And, and, uh, you know, you weren't a crybaby in the, and, uh, on and, the stand. And that's, and that, so, and you, at that time, it's like, I didn't know somebody was listening. I, w I just did what I felt was right. And I, 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 you know, I just took my beating. I was, that's, that's what it is. And lo and behold, here is um, this gentleman from a major corporation and his wife, Carol Warner and Sue Warner are in there. Uh, and they are listening to this, this interview. And it would be some time later. And, you know, they decided they were going racing uh, and needed and pure later products. Pure later products was going racing and they were looking for a driver. And it was Sue that told Carol, remember that young driver that we that finished second and, you know, talked on the on the microphone. He did a great job. You ought to call and him. And he was gracious, even though he lost the race. Yeah. You ought to bring him in. And let's just, you know, let's see. He was a great race car driver. Let's bring him in and take it take a, you know, to have a discussion with him. And so. At that point, I got the opportunity of a lifetime that would ultimately change my life. And it all came down to saying the right thing, being gracious, you know, and having character. And ultimately, Carol Warner gave me the, the chance of a lifetime that led me to my Daytona 500. That, that almost gives me goosebumps to think about that in that way, because honestly, and you've told this story many times, but I'm looking at it from a totally different perspective right now as you're talking in that if you had gone up there and you had been, you know, standoffish or worse, belligerent about the fact that Herschel won or, you know, didn't congratulate him or said something snarky like NASCAR drivers are apt to do now after the race, you probably wouldn't have been invited to that meeting with Pure Later Products. You would not have stood out in their mind as being a driver that they wanted to represent their brand. And it just goes to show what you say matters. It does. And that gave me the opportunity to go in and represent myself on my own with the president, VP of marketing, and to physically go in there and represent yourself, tell them what you can do, that you're willing to do just about anything. And I did. I said, I guarantee you that I will do every, every amount of parent, any amount of appearances that you want for a year, but I guarantee you that my ability outside the race car is good enough that you'll want to pay me next year. I'm not the greatest race car driver yet, but I know that I have the ability to be proficient. I just need to serve my apprenticeship and get the opportunity. You can be versatile. That's right. I said, I'm good both in and out of the car. Give me an opportunity and I won't, and I won't let you down. And I left that day with, which is a little unorthodox. I left there that day with money, the sponsorship, and I had to go back and find a race <laughs> Not team. very much. And that's what Carol Warner said. He said, I know it's a little unorthodox. He said, but 
You got the sponsorship deal. He said, go back and find T- your Tell the team. listeners how much you had to go start a cup race team. This was 1987, the winter of 87. I was about destitute and I had $375,000. And you had to build a team from scratch. Basically, I had to go find a race team that already had the equipment and was willing to take that kind of money and pay me mm-hmm. <laughs> out of it. And they took, there was $400,000 in the budget. They kept 25000 for marketing. Not a lot of money to do it with. <laughs> Ooh, 25000 I wonder what I could do with that. You know, so that was, uh, you know, and I got $375,000 and I got myself a, I, you know, I got a salary and I got to, <laughs> not you know, a big one, not a big one, but I got one. <laughs> and I went back and Pat Patterson from On Pit Road Productions, you know, who does Siri, uh, satellite uh, Sirius radio, he was very helpful and instrumental in getting me involved with uh, Jim Testa and Elmo Langley. And we took their race team. They took the deal and pure later in 1988 went racing and that's how it started. So I guess that's what I want the people out there that are listening to understand that, you know, really you just don't ever know. And you have to put your best foot forward. You have to be in a position to always, you know, be of a, a, a man or a young person, a woman, a, you know, a, you know, a girl, a boy, just have character and integrity and say the right things and just, you know, be, um, be a decent person. Yes. And I think, you know, that comes across very well and it always does and it always has and it always will. I honestly believe that. And I think when you look somebody in the eye and you can convey to them the desire you have to drive a race car, the heart that you'll do just about anything to just to have an opportunity for that person to believe in you. That's your job to convey that to those people. And it just needs to come out of you. You know, you need to love the sport. You need to love driving a race car enough that it just comes out of you. It pours out of you. And I think too much, in my opinion, this day and age, you see so many kids that do it for the notoriety. They just do it for the, you know, their profilers. They just want to look good, be good, you know, and they want all the attention and that's fine and good. It can start out that way. But if you don't physically truly love driving the car yes, and want to just have that kind of can't think about doing anything else, then you probably need to look elsewhere because you ultimately won't get the best out of you. And I think that's what it takes to be one of 40 in the Cup Series or one of 40 in the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series or Trans Am, whatever it is that you're doing. It takes every ounce of effort you have and and somebody else that's there with you, working collectively with you. You're not going to do it alone. It's going to take people. So you're going to have to be able to convey to people just how much you want it. And then, and that hopefully will resonate with them and they'll want to help you. Yes. Well, and you have to step out of your comfort zone. You You have to face your fears because if you're not challenged, you're not going to grow and you, you have to embrace the obstacles and you have to embrace being uncomfortable. And that is probably, you know, my biggest piece of advice after listening to you speak and then the differences between the haves and the have nots, as you like to say, what, 
made them great was that they continued. Yes, everyone can start with money. Everyone can start with fame. But the long lasters, the ones that truly can say they made their mark in history in motorsports are the ones that worked at it, both in and out of the car. They were versatile. They, they endured a lot. And they endeared people to them. And there were some great personalities too, whether you loved them or hated them, but that's longevity is making yourself uncomfortable and growing and learning what it takes to really live, breathe your sport. I think in what you, where this really comes into play is that if you don't have money, if you don't have the wherewithal or the means to get started, even if on the lower levels, if you're just really, you know, you're listening to this and your father's listening to this, or you guys are listening to it together and it strikes a chord with you and you say, my kid's wanting to go running a go-kart. He's wanting to go race. He's the, the other kids are doing this and you guys are thinking about it just because you don't have a lot of money to do it. It takes want to. It takes desire. You have to physically, at that point in time, make a conscious decision collectively to say, is this really something that you have to do and you want to do? And you'll put every ounce of effort into this. Then as a parent, what do you most of the time you do? You try to find a way somehow to make something happen. And it may not be of magnitude, it may be just, you know, getting started some way, but just getting the opportunity to go and view it first, go to a local racetrack, a local go-karting place, a local something. If it is something that you can do together and you can see, you start start at the ground floor. You start talking. You talk to people. You ask questions. You try to go to, you know, opportunity to places and watch them work on the car, talk to them, create a relationship, just engage with these people and understand more and start to acquire information, get started and get, you have to go through your due diligence and find out what all the, you know, what is available to you, what age your, your, you know, your little boy or little girl is, or what they're at, you know, what is available to you in your local area that's within reason as far as travel time and access for you, you have a job, all those things. Put all of this down start figuring out what is close to you, what's available to you, what friends you know might have interest in it. You know, you just have to look at every available resource you have, figure out how can we get started. You'll find somebody that has a go-kart or something that, you know, you can get started with. Uh, an old street stock you can find for very minimal money that somebody has. Uh, you can put one together yourself and you can start in a bomber class. You could do a lot of things just to go get started. Yeah, look at our social media intern, Jason Larrabee Jr. He Absolutely. built his own street car um, with our street stock with a, a friend that helped him put it together. And he went out there and was successful for three or four years with that. Ended up getting the late model division. Yes. You know, running Got well. rookie of the year, I believe. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, and, and did not have a, a lot behind him, but worked with us, doing social media for us. And we in turn found opportunities and, you know, put some, you know, money together as things that we could do. Went up there and helped him with his car and, you know, spent time with him and supported him. 
those those are the kinds of things that it takes when you're young and you're getting started maybe not maybe you're a, you're older and you want to get started and you can give time to some team like we had you know guys come in and give give us their time for free and work on the cars and learn they would ultimately we would ultimately give them a job and they got started if and they were good if they were good yeah and they and, <laughs> and they were they, reliable and they were reliable so but you you do what you have to give of yourself and there's always you know a couple of ways to skin the cat right yeah, and that is again. she hates it but i it's the way it is i mean you just have to figure it out and not and be relentless and so you know you talk about the guys that have money that can bring money to the table. Well, you know, the, on the flip side of that, there's people out there that want to do this in the worst way, but don't have the means to do it. And you have to start going out and you have to start looking for opportunities. And that's where, you know, we talk about barter, you know, in the old days, you know, used to be like, you know, you, you would go give something that you had a, more of and that somebody, you needed something else that you didn't have and you traded for it. You can look for things that you maybe have that you don't need or things that you want and find a way to, you know, to trade or buy or trade to somebody else that has this car. Once you get out and you start talking to people, you start finding out, you know, the opportunities that are there that you don't know about just because you aren't out asking and looking mm -hmm. and you have to just go. And the moment you start going to the racetrack, everybody will talk to you. Everybody wants yes, to talk. Yes, racing is very friendly. That is for sure. And you can gain a lot of relationships if you actually make yourself available to those people. Go up and start talking, asking questions. Now, some, you know, that's not going to happen in the Cup Series. You know, they're, you know, they're too arrogant up there. But it will happen in the lower series. Um, you go into a ARCA well, garage or like the the uh, um, SCAA and the um, and the motor uh, Trans Am. Yeah. That those series, they'll they'll talk to you all day long. Or if you're starting out at the local levels, you know, you can go to the Saturday night shows, you know, at a at an asphalt track, a little dirt track, or whatever the case may be. Go to the go-kart track if you're starting there. Yes. You gotta go and talk and see and and get a feel for, you know, people will, will talk because they, you know, they're there, they're standing around. Sometimes you're you're you know, you're standing around doing things more than you are getting a chance to race, you know, it's, you know, kind of hurry up and wait kind of an affair. Mm -hmm. So you got time. You can strike up a conversation with people. You ask people want to talk. They want to engage. They want to talk. They like to hear themselves talk. Let them talk. You listen <laughs> yeah, they do. and you write down what they're saying, record it, whatever, go there prepared and try to get some information to start logging it all together and then sit down and you guys figure out a game plan and you physically put the pros and the cons and what you have and what you don't have, and you figure out what's what's achievable, what's not. How long will it take for us to get to this point? But you just have to make that decision. And I mean, that's really what it is. It comes down to like anything else you do with looking for a job or, you know, planning a birthday party or going, you got to start with a plan and you got to get started and figure out how can we get this done? We don't have that much money. Well, we still got to do it. Well, we'll be resourceful. We'll make this stuff. We'll do this stuff. You go to the junkyard, you ask somebody for a car, you, you, sometimes people, they just, you know, they'll say no. Sometimes they say yes. Yep. You, know, you just so. have to get one yes. That's it. And, and I, I love that you say that because persistence is key. You have to be persistent. You can't just give up the first time you don't, you know, get someone to support you or your sponsor says no, or you have, you know, a bad season or you get a car and it's a dud or, you know, or you're, you know, 
your crew chief that you thought was going to help you goes to another team. I mean, there's so many myriads of things that can happen when you're first starting out, but persistence is key because ambition is the path to success. Ambition will start you off, but persistence is the vehicle that you will arrive in. And if you don't have persistence, you're not going to get very far. No, it's easy to give up. I mean, let's, let's face it, right? You, you don't you don't have success or, you know, you know, you think you're going to go to the racetrack and you're going to win races, right? And it doesn't happen, right? Then you justify the reasons for losing or you, you know, you, it's easy to give up or justify things and be, you know, bad attitude, be pissy, whatever the case may be. When you're starting out trying to find an opportunity, there's going to be a lot of no's, right? You're not always going to ask for money. Ask for things that you're going to have to spend money on to support the car. You know, you're going to have to have fuel to get to the racetrack. You're going to have to have fuel for the car. You're going to have to have tires. You're going to have to this. You know, those are the kinds of things that you got to think about. What is it that encompasses it that you can ask for for help that people will give you that they have access to? Maybe they have a tire store. Maybe they have, you know, a gas station. Maybe they have, you ask for things you can do. But the child has to be involved. The young man, the young woman, they have to be involved. They have to be there front and center and asking the hard question because it's a lot harder for them to tell them no. Exactly. You stand behind them, but they have to do the job. So they got to, this is their first taste of getting in front of somebody and asking for something. Absolutely. And if they get no, say, thank you very much. I really appreciate you your thinking time. consideration, yep. your consideration and walk away, you know, and you just learned your first lesson. It takes, you can take a no, and it doesn't kill you. Yep. And you off you go. Yep. And I, I think parents and and sponsors and funders and aunts and uncles and whoever is funding this effort, they lose sight of the fact that the kid or the young adult has to be involved in this. It's not doing them any favors by not making them understand how difficult it is to get to this place. And they also need to see these people that are giving them the check, know them know where they work and how hard they work and giving over a $5,000 check for a local mom and pop RV store might be a big deal. And they need to see that and know that. And you need to be going back to there and showing just how much it meant to you and doing all the little things that you can do and showing them what you're doing to show good faith. Yes. And I think, you know, I, every week I go to races or I watch and I listen and I see things that are so distasteful for me. Right. And I see these young kids that, you know, these guys, are parents are putting up all this money and these kids act like some little, I mean, derelict. And I mean, and just, and they're not appreciative. And, you know, I look at them and I think to myself, you know what? I don't even, I don't have it in me to even help. It's like, I just want to stand back and go help the other kid next to us over here that really is struggling and needs something. And there are kids out there. We want to say, we've talked a lot about the entitled kids tonight, but there are definitely some young men and women out there. And we've worked with just as, not maybe just as many, but we've worked with a lot of women as well. We have. And, um, and I have to say the majority of them are more grateful probably because they realize it's harder for them to get into a man's world. But, um, we have to give accolades to those um, young men and women who do go the extra mile and they do ask you questions and they do respect the advice and the wisdom from those that have gone before because we have those on uh, Nitro Motorsports and we have those people around us at, 
at the Trans Am series, we've had those people around us in the Cup series, and it has been refreshing that there are still those out there. In the near future, we are going to address the female side and aspect of motorsports, how hard it is for them, the opportunities that are available, what it's going to take, and that we have expertise in that. We have dealt with a lot of female race car drivers, and I think we have a unique perspective there. So I think we can you know, provide some great opportunities. So we're going to do that in the future. So don't think that we're just talking about, you know, young boys, you know, we really want to see that thing change about, about what the females uh, need to do. There's a, that's a lot of opportunity. And I think that, um, you know, it's one that's, that's well-deserved. Yes, absolutely. So, well, we really appreciate all of you listening in tonight. I know this has been kind of a, a hot topic, uh, kind of pushes our buttons sometimes, uh, but uh, we want to continue to um, say thank you to everyone who tunes in and thank you to all of those who have been supporting and reviewing and giving us feedback. We're going to talk about the, the feedback next episode as well. We've had some great stories. And uh, we want to highlight those folks. So thank you, DerekCope.club, RaceTheory.club. Please leave us a comment, hashtag RaceTheory. Thanks, y'all. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at DerekCope00. And leave a comment or question and use hashtag RaceTheory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.